screen one, two, one, two. Did I do it right? You got it. Am I good? good. Can we hear? Okay, great. Praise God. Can we just give God some praise right now and just, yes, can we just love on Jesus for a minute? Is that okay? I don't know, you know, what you're used to, but I'm used to just giving God some love. So if you could just stand to your feet and let's just raise our hands, maybe put our hands together and just tell Jesus how much you love him. Because the Bible says his name is great. The Bible says that his name is above all other names. And I praise God for that. You don't have to worry about what you're going through, anxiety, stress, or worry. His name is above that name. You don't have to worry about low self-esteem, insecurity, or depression. His name is above that name. I don't know about you, but my Bible says his name is above every name. All names. And he is worthy of all praise. If he saves you, then he is worthy of praise. And I just thank you, God, for all that you're doing in this place. Jesus, we love you. There is nobody else like you. And Heavenly Father, even if you were to stop blessing us right now, we would still owe you praise for all eternity. And we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen and amen. Praise God. Go ahead, relax. Take off your shoes. Take out your teeth. You're good. We're going to have a good time. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about it. Just be yourself this morning. I just want to thank Pastor Phil and Jamila for... Uh, such an honor, and I thank the whole Inspire team and Good Morning Inspire Church. You guys are a beautiful congregation. And my wife, who is at our home church in San Jose, is uh, holding down the fort there. She's our worship and creative pastor over there, and she's doing a great job, but she sends her love. And uh, for those of you, yes, amen, praise God. And for those of you who don't know, I have three uh, kids, and I praise God for them. They keep me active. Um, and I actually, I love being a father. And one thing that's crazy about Inspire is I feel y'all are having like kids left and right. Like every time I come, someone is getting married and someone's having kids. Like, I don't know what's going on. That sex and dating series must have been legit because people are just like, like after their service, they go and get a hotel room upstairs. Like, I don't know what's going on in this place. Something's in the communion juice. But there are just kids going everywhere. And so I just love it. I love it. I love it. I love uh, being a father. And I love my daughters. And they're great. My oldest one is in sports. And uh, she loves basketball. And I'm trying to get her to go out and just, you know, practice her game a little bit more. And sometimes it's hard because she likes to just be, you know, at home with mom and dad and playing uh, games and, and just sitting in the air-conditioned house and all this other stuff. And I'm just like, girl, you need to go out there and, like, practice your game because I tell you right now, there's some kids out there six, seven hours on that hoop. And so, but uh, she actually, she's doing really good, and she's seven. And, uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, she's my oldest, and... I praise God for that. But um, hey, <clears throat> anyway, let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I pray, Lord God, that your word that is already blessed will just land on fertile ground, that our hearts will be open, that our minds will be able to receive, that we will have ears to hear your Holy Spirit speak to us today in the mighty name of Jesus. Everybody say amen, amen. and amen. I know that this particular body has been on a series called Kingdom Come. And though I'm not sure what has already been taught um, and what has already been invested and deposited into your life concerning this subject, I do believe that the Holy Spirit has given a message today to just add on to that library of information that you have on the topic. And so I want to first start off by recognizing that it is an honor, I feel, that the Lord has given me to speak from this platform today. And behind this pulpit, because I am uh, completely cognizant of the fact that uh, Phil, much like I myself in my church, are very particular on who uh, gets to come and gets to minister uh, to this church and to you guys. And so I am encouraged. I believe that it was Paul who was guest speaking at a church who once said that it was his desire to impart some sort of spiritual gift 
into your life. Uh, and that way we could all be encouraged by one another. And it is my prayer that you not only see the love that I have for you, but behind this sort of personality that I have, that you see the authentic nature uh, that I really want you guys to just fall more and more in love with Jesus Christ and to hear his word today. Amen. Amen. Now, uh, listen, I, I don't want to come into your personal uh, characteristic behaviors or, or, or anything like that, but if you're not used to being a vocal person or speaking to the person next to you during a sermon, then that is today. And so if you do not like talking to the person you're sitting next to, now is the time to change seats because you will be talking to them throughout today's message. Uh, and so I will give you a few moments to do so. Oh, okay, I thought one person was getting up. Woo, brother, I was about to just pray, lay hands on him right now. You better not move. Yes. You saw her look. You look real quick, right? Like, boy, why are you getting up? Why are you, like, you better sit down. I saw that. I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but listen, I want you to know more than anything that Jesus Christ loves you and that you were designed and created to spread that love. So why don't you do that right now? Why don't you find about two or three people, just give them a high five, say, I love you. 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 For some people, that's not easy to say, but I want you to just say, I love you. I love you. <clears throat> yes. 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 I praise the Lord that Inspire is a church full of the Holy Spirit. And the reason I know that is because with your baptisms, y'all going to have picnic and y'all going to have cake and desserts and donuts and cookies. Tell you right now, if that is not strategic evangelism, I don't know what is. Because I will show up. I was just telling them that I might just drive back here just for the picnic. Praise God. I'm glad y'all getting baptized. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But let me tell you, right now, I am going to be there for that picnic. Yes, in the name of Jesus. That is some good stuff. So I praise God for that. Today we're going to be on a somewhat of a journey, and normally what I would do is I would just take maybe one passage and kind of exposit it a little bit throughout the text, but this morning we're going to be looking at Old Testament and New Testament and a few different passages, so I want you to just buckle up. We're going to get ready to go, and first you'll find our assignment starts off in 2 Kings. Second Kings. And really, when you take a look at both First Kings and Second Kings, uh, when you see it from the larger viewpoint, you will see the gospel in both of these books because what these two books really are from the gospel perspective is it is about a covenant-keeping God with a covenant-breaking people. A covenant-keeping God with a covenant-breaking people. And together, these two books paint on their canvas the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for those of you Bible nerds out there, any Bible nerds out there? Yeah. Yes. Just let me just give you some history here. That First and Second Kings was actually combined as one book. And scholars agree with tradition that uh, they believe that the prophet Jeremiah wrote these books somewhere around 560 to 540 B.C., and as I was thinking about the kingdom come and I was thinking about kingdom living, my mind kept returning to a person named Naaman. Because in his story, as I read it, I see kingdom all over the place. And this series, Kingdom Come... Um, and of course, you immediately think of the famous prayer, Lord, let your kingdom come, your will be done as it er uh, in, uh, on earth as it is in heaven. Um, and so when I say kingdom, and then when I say I see the kingdom of God, I'm talking about characteristics of the kingdom that manifest here on earth. Now, if you want a fuller understanding of what this series is about, I'm sure that they can go back and hear the series Someplace, this is a very gifted church, and I'm sure with all of its talents that there is a way of hearing previous messages, and I would encourage you to do that so maybe you can get a full scope of what was on Pastor Phil's heart with this series. But this morning I have the mic, so I get to say what I feel the Lord has put upon my heart. Um, and this is important because, listen, Jesus is more than just our escape plan to get out of this world, but he is actually the master teacher showing us how to do it right while we are here. 
And so let's look at the text this morning, if you will, and uh, turn your Bibles on, or you can look at the screen. I think it'll be up there. And so 2 Kings 5, starting in verse 1, it says, Now Naaman was a commander of the army of the kingdom of, and the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier. Here what we have is this man who is described as a great military commander. Normally when we think of somebody like a great military commander in the Bible, we might think of somebody like King David. The problem is, is when we first met King David, we met him as a boy that was herding sheep. And the Bible says that he was writing songs of poetry and playing a harp. And so I don't know what comes to your mind, but the first thing that comes to mind is like the 2009 Justin Bieber version. You see what I'm saying? And so that's what David was like. He was just this little kid playing a harp, writing poetry, singing and dancing and all this other stuff. But, but that's not Naaman. Rather, Naaman is quite different. Instead, Naaman is more like the Russell Crowe in Gladiator. You know what I'm talking about? Like this is Naaman, this sort of buff man's man. I mean, he was like the hero of heroes. If, if they had action figures back then, they would have had a Naaman action figure. They, he would have been on the poster and a wall of every teenage room. I'm telling you right now, everybody wanted to be him. The ladies bat their eyes. Men wanted to fashion like him. He was a leader of leaders. He was Naaman. He was this man's man, this brave warrior type of person. This dude was bad. And he was large and in charge, and the Assyrian king was indebted to him because his leadership skill and his fighting ability was what was enabled Assyria to have victory. So listen, when this guy said go, people went. When this guy said stop, people stopped. When this guy said to go to sleep, people went to sleep. This is just how he was. He wasn't just a commander, but he was the commander. And he knew what it would take to have victory. And listen, saints, what I have found out is that oftentimes when you find yourself in a fight, when you feel like you are going through a storm or a trial, when you feel like life has put more weights on your shoulder for you to have to carry and you are struggling, watch this, write this down. Sometimes your struggle isn't from what you are carrying, but how you are carrying it. Sometimes your struggle isn't from what you are carrying, but how you are caring. Sometimes the reason that you battle isn't necessarily because of the circumstance or the situation that you're going through, but how you are handling it, how you are going through those situations. What's causing you so much trouble isn't so much what you're dealing with, but how you're dealing with it. Because how you go through a thing in, in a way is more important than the thing you go through. You see? And this makes the difference between people who succeed and who don't succeed. Sometimes there could be somebody who is given the same set of circumstances that you have. They are dealt the same hand that you are dealt with, but they come out winning because of how they went through it. How you go through something is just as important, if not more, than what you go through. Let's read it again, 2 Kings 5.1. Now Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. But he had leprosy. What's interesting about our society is the belief that if God is good and all-powerful, then somehow that means that there wouldn't be any problems. But see, when someone says, well, I don't really believe in God because I don't think God would allow blank, whatever that blank is. I don't really believe in God because I don't believe God would allow suffering or I don't believe God would allow heartbreak or I don't believe God would allow whatever, whatever that is, then what that person is doing is they are denying absolute morality at the front door, but then they are sneaking it through the back. Because they cannot escape the reality that there is something transcendent that gives them the ought in life. That how things ought to be. How people ought to act. How, how one ought to behave. 
But the fact is, is that problems and pain and suffering don't point away from God, but point to him. Watch this. Luke chapter 13, verse 18 says this. Then Jesus, somebody say Jesus, Jesus. was asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched on its branches. Again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed it into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Notice what Jesus is trying to get us to understand that what kingdom is like, what is the kingdom of heaven is like, and then what does kingdom look like within our lives. First, notice this. He uses organic materials to describe the kingdom of God. He uses things like seed and dirt and yeast and flour. In other words, this thing called Christianity is not some sort of inorganic ritualistic routine that we just happen to go through. But the real Christianity is about an organic relationship with Jesus Christ. I keep noticing how when Christianity is treated or, or spoken to, especially in the Bay Area, that, that it's either treated as something cultural or something philosophical. And usually when you have an honest conversation with somebody uh, within this city or within the Bay Area about Christianity, then it kind of goes something like this. Well, you know, there, there's various portions about truth and, and, and about the soul and, and morality and Christianity. And, and, and really, Christianity, th th that's just one way. That's just kind of one way to, to understand truth and, and what's right and what's wrong and, and one way to get to heaven. And, and, and so what they do is they, they look at Christianity and, and they say, listen, I have a personal and social and intellectual problem, and I want to see if Christianity addresses is what concerns me. That's what they say. And, and so what they do is they, they go and they, they try Christian, Christianity on like a dress to see if it hides the worst parts of them and displays the best parts of them. And if it doesn't, if it does the opposite, then they take it off and they move on to the next thing. That's our society. That's our society. St. Paul, when he was writing his first letter uh, to the church in Corinth, says in chapter 4, verse 20, that the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Is not in word, but in power. Now that sounds awesome, power, yes. But what does it mean? He, he means that it's possible to accept Christianity in word. It's possible. It's possible that you accept the ideals. I accept the principles. I accept the beliefs. It's possible that you can even defend Christianity, but never actually receive the power of Christianity. Paul says in Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's a great idea. No, that's not what he says. No, even though it is a great idea. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's a great philosophy. No, that's not what he says, even though Christianity has philosophy, right? Um, uh, or maybe a point of view. He doesn't say anything of that. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel has power. It has power. So Christianity, in essence, is a power. And there are people in and out of church for years that have it in word, but not in power. Jesus is saying the same thing in this parable. Some people say, listen, Christianity is a set of ideas. Well, yeah, Christianity has ideas, but it's not just an idea. Some people say, well, Christianity is, is, is about forgiveness. Yes, forgiveness is a huge part of Christianity, but that's not all Christianity is, right? Because if all Christianity was was just an idea or just a philosophy, then there's no actual power behind that. But what, but what God is trying to get us to understand is that Christianity has power in your life, you see. There's this nature, this nature. Well, what kind of power? An organic power. Because what we see here is we see a power that grows. Seed and yeast. Seed and yeast. A power that has life and that grows. We have the power of the inevitable, hidden, 
but relentless growth. And that comes into you and to me when we say, hey, we follow Jesus Christ with all of our heart. Yeast is the same thing. In fact, yeast is a wonderful metaphor because yeast doesn't replace the dough, but it transforms the dough into its likeness. And so it comes up and it takes the dough with it. And the same thing, when you become saved, you still have your personality, you still have giftings, but the attributes of God, his love, his wisdom, his strength, come in and and raises you up and takes you with it. So what does that mean? It means that the way you know that you were a Christian is not that all of your problems are wiped away or that you have adopted some sort of set of beliefs. How you know you are a Christian is you're growing. You're growing. You're growing in your thinking. You're growing in your acting. You're growing in how you feel. Right? For instance, in your thinking, Jesus dying on the cross isn't just a concept, but it becomes a reality that disrupts you, disturbs you, challenges you, excites you. Heaven and hell, God's love, God's wisdom, and so forth. These these aren't just concepts, but these are become realities in your life. For instance, if you're bitter, why are you bitter? Because what Jesus has done for you is not as real as what people have done to you. But, but, but you see what I'm saying? But when Jesus, has, when what Jesus has done for you becomes more real than what people have done to you, then you're able to forgive. You see what I'm saying? Right? Why are some of you depressed or hard on yourself or have low self-esteem or maybe you're lacking courage? It's because what people have said about you has become more real in your life than what God has said about you. But the more you grow in Christ gradually and little by little, you become more confident. You become more loved and healed and influential and joyful. And the less and less you are controlled by your circumstances and your situations and your dilemmas and by what people say, the less and less you are controlled uh, by other uh, outside situations, things that that, that you feel like you don't even have a handle on, less and less are you controlled by that. See, you're not a vegetable. You're, you're you're, You're not an animal. You don't just respond to creation, but you respond to the creator. There's a difference. And you are more human than you've ever been when you've accepted Jesus Christ. Christ is rising in you. And your thinking grows. Your creativity grows. Your intellect grows. Your behavior changes. And the more your heart grows because of Jesus. You become so filled with love and compassion and generosity and and, and ecstasy and and, and romance and beauty and, and transformation. Because of Jesus. Watch this, write this down. The presence of God will not always fix your problems, but it will clarify your perspective. In fact, your biggest problem isn't necessarily your problem. It's how you perceive your problem. I'll say that again. Your biggest problem isn't necessarily your problem, but how you perceive your problem. And what the presence of God will do is the presence of God will clarify your perspective and will use your problems to cause you to see Jesus. In other words, how will you ever know that God is healer unless you are sick, right? How would you ever know that God is liberator if at once you were not bound? How would you ever know that God is light if you were not once in darkness? And what he does is he uses situations to bring revelation about who he is to your life. You see what I'm saying? This is why Jesus said, I'm glad that Lazarus died because now there's a situation that I can bring a revelation of who I am, you see. He says, I'm glad that he died. You might be like, oh, shady Jesus, what's up with that? What you mean you got your best friend, bro? That's your homie, that's your ride or die. You're like, I'm glad that he died. What are you talking about, Jesus? My goodness. We're over Housewives of Jerusalem right there, right? Think about it. Think about it. But he says it's because whenever a situation comes into your life, it, it, it could possibly be the fact that God is trying to reveal another aspect of who he is to you and to your life and to your own heart. And so here Naaman is on the outside. He's strong. He's healthy. He's covered in armor. If he were to ever leave his house, he would always make sure he had armor on. Always. And, and then we get a glimpse behind the scenes. We get to be the fly on the wall in this commander's house. 
It's interesting because here he is looking healthy, looking strong, but death on the inside. Death on the inside. And he can't let anybody know. Because do you know what they do with people that have leprosy? Do you know that they would strip him of not just his title, but of his wife, of his kids, of his home? They would force him to go and to live at the outskirts of town in caves with the other community of lepers. He can't let anybody know. So now, not only does he have the difficulty of having to go and to live with leprosy, but he has the additional difficulty of having to cover it up. Because what would people do if they found out? I wonder how many people have put their armor on this morning, worried that if the person sitting next to you, in front of you, behind you, were to find out, what would they do? What would they do if they knew your real struggle? What would, they do if they, what would they do if they knew what it really was that scared you at night? What really was that keeps you up and makes you toss to and, to and fro? I wonder what they would do if they really knew what your temptations were, what your lusts were, what your trials were, what, what the fight was about. I wonder what they would really know, you see. And, as, uh, and the church body as a whole has done th- this great job of, ma- of creating a culture where, where people come in and they automatically have to seem joyful right. because if not, then they might be judged and isolated, right. you see. And so we come to this place where we have to figure out what are we going to do. Watch this, verse 2. Now bands of raiders from Iran had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Wow. So this is what happened is that they, as they were going out, they had taken a young girl from Israel. So Israel, she was a child of God. They had taken her captive. She is now a servant to Nahum, and she is now working uh, to, uh, under Nahum's wife in his house. So at this point, there are only two people that really know of his leprosy, his wife and this slave girl. But who cares about this slave girl? She's insignificant. She's in a land that she doesn't know. She's just an immigrant. Who cares? She's second class. I don't care if she knows. I don't care. And, every, and here's the thing is every time he would see her, he would be reminded of Israel, which was a problem for him. She represented his problem. But you need to know this, that oftentimes your problem will serve your purpose. And so here she is, and she's talking to the wife, and she's saying, listen, if my master would only go and, do, and go to Samaria, there's a prophet there that would kill him, that would cure him. What we see in this scene is we see two people. We see a commander, and we see a servant both bound, both bound. And then this slave demonstrates something amazing. She demonstrates the kingdom because she could have let her unforgiveness and her bitterness and her anger allow her to keep her mouth shut and to not say anything. She could have said, you know what? He came to my town. He destroyed my people. He ripped me from my family. I'm just going to let him die in his pain and die in his leprosy. But she didn't do that. She, instead, she showed grace and forgiveness and holiness. Because she understood holiness. And let me remind you something, church, of something that I'm sure you already know. When thinking of holiness, the church has created it to be such an individualistic concept. That, that holiness is about how I dress and, and, how, and, how, and the music I listen to and, and whether or not I have a TV in my house or not. I don't know if any of you grew up in old school Pentecost church, but it was a sin to have a TV in your house. You didn't have no TV in your house. You didn't go to no baseball games. You didn't wear the color red because that was a sin. You didn't put on no makeup. You didn't have no jewelry. Not everything was a sin. Everything. I mean, everything was a sin. Everything was a sin. They just made up sins. I mean, they just make them up. You know what I mean? No, brother, how you looked at me right there, that's a sin. You know what I'm saying? 
If you didn't shout hallelujah loud enough, that's a sin. I remember one time, I don't know if y'all remember this. Y'all remember, y'all remember doing Jericho marks? Marches. Anybody remember those Jericho marches? Yeah. I, okay. So our pastor, listen, everybody had to participate. It doesn't matter. Wheelchair, cripple, whatever. You had to be in the Jericho march. And, and listen, I remember one time I was sitting there. I didn't want to be no Jericho march. I was 10 years old. I didn't want to be in there. Didn't feel I was lazy. I didn't feel like getting up and marching around. For those of you who don't know what a Jericho march is, everybody would get up, they'd play some music, and you'd march around the church and, and you know, until your spiritual walls fell down or whatever. And so... <laughs> It sounds funny, but let me tell you right now, actually, that'd probably be really good in, in some of these health-crazy churches these days. You know what I'm talking about? They wouldn't mind that at all. Anyway, and so I remember one time I didn't want to do it. And so the pastor came up, and the pastor said, son, why aren't you in the Jericho march? I said, I don't want to be in the Jericho march. He, he said, no, you need to be in it. That's a sin that you're sitting there, not in this Jericho march. And so he grabbed me by my belt loops. He did, and he shook me. He said, in the name of Jesus, and he made me go march around the... So there I am, marching around Jericho, Jericho, March, Jericho, March. How many more laps? They only did seven. I'm on 20. Jericho, March. How many walls we got? Y'all have this many problems in this church? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Everything was a sin. And everything was about perception, outward perception, because you had to be holy. But see, what you have to understand is that when you talk about new covenant and what new covenant does is new covenant makes us realize that holiness isn't so much an individual thing. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is coming back for a spotless bride. And the Bible says that his bride is the church, is the church, the body, the corporate body of Jesus Christ is this spotless, pure, holy bride. And what the Bible says is under this new covenant, the New Testament lets us know that what holiness is, is how you treat one another. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought holiness was about how long your dress was and if you didn't didn't wear no jewelry and how many times you prayed in the morning and and how many verses you had memorized. I thought that was holiness. No, 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 no. Holiness. The Bible says this, that how people will know that you are a disciple of Jesus is how you love others. How you love others. You see? How you love others. Write this down. America does not need another definition of the gospel. It needs a demonstration of it. And here is this servant girl, and she's demonstrating holiness. She's demonstrating love. She's representing Christ because she herself is a new creation. And though her circumstance says she is bound, catch this, even though her outside circumstance, if everybody else were to look at her and judge her from her outside circumstance, they would say she is bound. But the reality is she was more free than anybody else in that household. Oh, I wish. I knew somebody that could say, listen, don't judge me by what I'm going through. Don't look at me at the chapter you see me in. I know what you're seeing. I know my family looks crazy and the kids are acting dumb. And I know that we're on the verge of those divorce papers. I know that it looks this way, but you need to know that because I have Jesus in my life, I am more free than I've ever been. Because faith does not always mean that God will change your situation. Sometimes it means that God will change you. Sometimes it means God will change you. For instance, God's been working on me um, about patience. Yeah, I mean, you know, Lord help me. And, and just being patient. And, wh- and one of the biggest ways he does this is after service, when I'm hungry, right, and we are going to a restaurant to try to order. And I'm telling you right now, um, I lose my patience. I lose my patience. I I lose my patience, and I just think, how dumb can people be? Because you've probably been at this McDonald's 500 times, and you still got to look at the menu and figure it out. Let me tell you what you want. I know, just just tell me in my ear what you're craving. I'll let you know the number. I'll let you know the price plus tax. Trust me, I got this. You know what I'm saying? It, it, It drives me crazy, especially living in San Jose. It takes forever to do anything in San Jose. I'm from, I'm from Modesto. Anybody here from the valley? Anybody in from the valley? One person that was brave enough. Oh, God bless you, sister. You are brave. Yes, praise Jesus. Yes, yes. Tell you right now, she is not bound by fear. Amen. And let me tell you something. When you go to the McDonald's, you can get in and out. Watch. You can testify. Say amen to this. You can go to the McDonald's, be in and out in about three minutes with your food. Not in San Jose. 
And San Jose, it's going to take you about 10 minutes just to get up to the drive through person. You know what I'm talking about? And then they act like it's fast service. And I'm like, really? Like, I could have. Have you guys ever been to a drive through and you could, it was faster to walk in and order than it was, but you're too lazy? Right? Like, I'm sitting in my air-conditioned car, and I'm looking at people walking in, walking out, walking in, walking out. And I'm like, look, Jesus. <laughs> the devil is a liar. You know. <laughs> right? Side note, I want you to notice that the answer to Naaman's problem was in his house the whole time. The answer to Naaman's problem was in his house the whole time. The solution to your problem that you are facing, normally that solution is right in front of you. When Moses was trapped and he didn't know what to do, and he prayed, he said, God, what am I going to do? We're trapped. We're in a corner. He was frantic. He was worried. God said, what is in your hand, Moses? Moses looked and said, it's just a staff. He said, use it. Use it. Because oftentimes what God will do is he won't bring you a new thing into your life, but he'll illuminate something you already have that you overlooked and undervalued. And so what happens is, is he says, listen, your solution I've already given you in advance. You're not waiting on it. It's waiting on you. And so your limitations are not what you don't have, but what you don't use. Verse 9, so Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and stopped at the door of Elijah's house. So he heard the servant girl, and he said, fine, I'm going to go do it. He loaded up his horses and chariots, and he went to the door of Elijah's house. Watch this. <laughs> Elijah sent on a messenger and said to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be clean. Do you guys catch what just happened? So Naaman set up his horses. His chariots, he got the army, he got the crew. They rolled down there to Elijah's house, knocked on the door, right? And Elijah didn't even come. Elijah was like, who is that? Oh, that's the commander of the Assyrian army. Oh, okay, yeah, you can handle this. Go ahead. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get this next level, you know, over here in this game. So right now I'm busy. So um, listen, just go tell him to, you know, wash himself seven times in the Jordan. He'll be good, you know? It's like, it, it was almost like that's just like an automatic response. I don't know what your culture is, but in my wife's culture, there are certain things that are just like, if you're sick or whatever, you're like, oh, just eat this and you'll be fine. Like for everything. You know what I mean? Like that soup cures cancer and stuff. Like I'm like, what? You know? Like that's just, that's just their culture. You know, whatever it is. You got a sore, you hit your head. Oh, here's some soup. You know what I mean? Whatever it is. Oh, I had a bad day. I got a flat tire. Oh, here's some soup. It's just, and so this was kind of his response, you know. Elijah was like, oh, go tell him, dip himself in the Jordan seven times, he'll be good. Right? Look at this, verse 11. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he surely would have came out to me. Stand up and call upon the name of the Lord, of his God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. That's what he says. He said, sure, I, mean, I thought he was going to come out and do like a whole theatrical thing. Right? I thought like clouds were going to roll in. You know what I mean? The beam of sun was going to come down. Elijah was going to be there levitating, waving his hand. You know what I'm saying? And instead he gets a little messenger boy that says, yeah, um, he said go wash yourself in that pool. Have a nice day. I would have been like, heck no, I did not come all the way over here. And I put on my gear. My homeboys are here. I know you're going to do more than that. You better come and pull a rabbit out of the hat or something. Do a little quarter trick for me. Little, you know, bring something. God, I know it's not going to be like that. What, what do you do when God doesn't do it your way? What do you do when you had a presupposed idea on how your life is going to look and how you're going to get there and the path you're going to take and the steps and this is going to happen and so that's going to happen and then I'm going to get this and then I'm going to do that and then this person's going to say this and then I'm going to go like that and, then you, and you get all your ducks lined up in a row and you step out and it's nothing like you thought. You didn't know you'd have to visit your son in jail. You didn't know you'd have to go and get chemo treatments. That wasn't in the plan. That fourth miscarriage, that wasn't in the plan. That wasn't in the plan. 
What do you do when there's no prophet waving magical spirit fingers in front of you with glitter behind them and a unicorn that throws up rainbows? I mean, what do you do? What do you do when church doesn't work the way you thought it would work? What do you do when Christianity isn't working the way that you had anticipated in your mind? Write this down. I dethrone God from my life when I demand that he is always to act in ways that satisfy my ideas. Mm-hmm. I dethrone God in my life when I demand that he is to always act in ways that satisfy my ideas. See, the thing is, is that you, we come to this realization that, listen, you don't know everything and you're not always in control. And that bothers us. Because we want a God that we can understand. We want a God that we can control. We want a God that we can manipulate. And so it bothers us that we can't fully. I know people who, who, say, I'm not, uh, who, who say to this day, they said, I'm not going to accept Jesus Christ. I'm not going to accept Christianity because I still have questions unanswered. You always will because it's God. Because it's God. And throughout all of eternity, you are going to spend the rest of your life in eternity discovering new facets of God's glory. It's going to be the greatest adventure of your whole life. You see? So watch this. So he gets upset. He says, he says now I have to go down to the Jordan. Are you telling me that all I had to do was go to a river? Why couldn't I have done that at home? Why couldn't I have gone home and now I have to go to the, around these people that I don't like in this river that doesn't look good and stinky and dirty and yucky to a, to a people that I consider an enemy. I have to surround myself in, in a place that I am not comfortable with doing something that I'm not comfortable doing. And now you're telling me I have to go to this river, take off my armor and reveal to everybody around me what's inside? Is that what you're telling me to do, God? Is that what you're saying? And so he, he goes and he says, is it really going to cost me that much? Matthew 13, 44, Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then his joy went and sold all. Everybody say all. all. And sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything, say everything, he had and bought it. See, a Christian is not someone who reads a little bit more of the Bible than he used to or prayed a little bit more than she did or, or at one point maybe they believed 50% of the Bible and now they believe 80% of the Bible. That's not what being saved is. That's not what a Christian is. A Christian isn't someone who used to go to church twice a year and now comes every week. No, 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 no. See, Christianity is not an increase in degree because there are no degrees in Christianity. You see what I'm saying? Now, and yes, there are certain things in the the Bible that may be a little difficult to read and comprehend, but you need to know that being a Christian is not a matter of a degree change, but it's a change of essence. It's a change of essence. It's not like there's an ugly painting and then Jesus comes and he splashes a little more color to it and then says, boom, now you're a Christian. No, no, no. But rather it's more like Jesus comes, burns the painting, takes the ashes and makes something completely new from, uh, from, that, uh, from those ashes. This is what it is to have God residing and living in you because Christianity takes everything because it changes everything. Christianity will take everything because it changes everything, you see. As we get ready to close and the worship team comes up, the only way to be willing to be a Christian is to be willing to sell everything. Now, this is a culture shock because for most of us, including myself, when we became a Christian, we, 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 we knew that there was something going on in our life. We needed help. We needed God. We needed that restoration process happening. But for the most part, we didn't really realize what we were getting ourselves into. And then a year later, two years later, you're realizing, man, there's a lot of things I'm going to have to change. There's a lot of things I'm going to have to change. 
and I have to tread carefully because some people didn't know what they got themselves into. But listen, being a Christian means you're willing to sell everything. It means you're willing to look at your life and not just the material things, but your attitude, your habits, your philosophies, your image, what people may think of you, whatever. But you look at everything and you say, nothing is worth more than Jesus. If there's anything between you and Jesus, then listen, you go with Jesus 100% of the time, even if it's difficult, right? If you're unwilling to publicly identify yourself with Christ, then you're saying that your image is more important than Jesus. Same thing with your money, with your sexuality. If you're not willing to bring those things under Jesus, then you're not willing to sell everything. If you say, well, I'll obey God if, then whatever it is that's on the other side of that if is something that you are not willing to sell. If you're saying, well, how could I possibly serve a God that would let this happen? What you're really saying is that there is something that you're not willing to sell in order to keep Jesus. There is something more important than Jesus. There is something more salvific than Jesus. There is something more powerful than Jesus. There's something more eternal than Jesus. But if you say that there is nothing that I will not sell to keep Jesus, then you receive the kingdom. Isn't that crazy how that works? If you're willing to give it all, you receive it all. Right? And Naaman is just now learning this. Watch this. So he went down. He dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. His flesh was restored and he became clean. His skin became that of a young boy. Here he is. He's at the Jordan River and he has to make a decision. Do I want to go to this next level? Do, do, do I really want to grasp and understand Jesus in all of his fullness. One time there was a man that was trying to describe what it feels like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and what that means. And, and, and it, it was difficult for him until and, and one time he saw a, a son and a father. And I remember Tim Keller telling this story that he saw this, this son and this father walking down the street. And then all of a sudden the father picked up his little boy and held him in his arms, spun around, gave him a kiss, said, I love you, put him back down, and they kept walking. Now, before he did that, was the son still the son? Yes. Was the father still the father? Yes. Was he any more or any less of a son when they were walking compared to when he was in his arms? No. Not legally, not technically, so what was the difference? The difference is, is in that moment, the son was now experiencing the love of the father. He was now experiencing what he knew to be real, what he knew to be true. And see, when we come to Jesus, there's a difference between just coming and we understand the concepts of Christianity. We understand Jesus died on the cross. He loves us. We get that. But there comes a time in your life, and I believe for many of you that's today, where you are, at the, where you are on the shore of the Jordan and you have to make a decision. Do I want to experience all that Jesus has for me, all of the love and the healing and the compassion and the power that Jesus has for me? If you do, you have to be willing to take off your armor. What's under your armor? What is it that you hide that you're scared if somebody finds out, if they know your struggle, if they know your issue? So you just put on the armor. You just put on the armor. Can I encourage you this morning? That even though you might have that mascara and your eyebrows may be on fleek, that in your heart, there could be some pain there. There could be some struggle there. Can I just let you know that I understand that, on the, that there might be certain areas of your life where it's really success and you're really effective and there's forward motion, but then there's another thing in your life where you feel like there's no progress, you feel like there's a decline. Can I just encourage you to just take your armor off and to come fully into the waters of Jesus Christ and let his word and his spirit wash over you? Can I just encourage you to just fully come with all your pain and all your drama and all your failures and all your situations situations to Jesus Christ. And as they begin to sing this song and as they begin to worship the Lord, let me just say this. 
that God is not scared to identify with the dirty side of you. God is not scared to identify with the hurting side of you. God is not scared to identify with the confused or the painful or I wish or what could I have or wonder what would have happened if I would have only or why doesn't my family do this or why isn't my marriage like that or why don't my finances look this way or I don't understand where my education's going. Why is my career not taking off? He identifies with all of that. In fact, in the Bible, when Moses didn't know what to do and he said, who do I say should send me? God told him, listen, tell him that I am that I am. And he said, tell him that I am the father of Abraham, that I am the father of Isaac, and that I am the father of Jacob. You say, why is that so surprising? Because if you remember, God changed Jacob's name to Israel, which means prince. He gave him a new identity. Jacob was the, the, the person that made all the wrong decisions. Jacob was the person that lied. Jacob was the person that sinned. Jacob was the person that didn't know what to do. Jacob was the person filled with doubt. Jacob was the person filled with hurt. Jacob was that person. You would have thought that God would have said, I am the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. But he didn't. He said, I am the father of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. In other words, God says, I'm not just the God of your success, but I am the God of your struggle. Would you stand to your feet this morning? We just begin to allow some of these kingdom attributes and characteristics to begin to infiltrate your life, to begin to see the kingdom of God manifest on the daily, on your Monday, on your Tuesday, on your Wednesday. In order to do that, can you just begin to go to that place that you've covered, that you've hidden, that you've put armor on, and begin to just strip that right now. Come on, church, close your eyes with me and let's just begin to do it. Just go to that place. Go to that problem. I know you don't want to. I know you're tired of thinking about it. I know you wish it never happened. I know you're still angry by it. I know you're still hurt by it. I know it still confuses you. I know it still stresses you out. But can you just go there? Can you just go there and begin to strip that armor off? Right now, in the precious name of Jesus. Let him heal you. Let him touch you. Fear is gone now. Your chains can be gone now. Healing can happen now. If it's the will of God, it can happen. It can happen. Restoration can begin today. I know, I know sometimes you said, I've tried this before. I've went in the water. I've done it once before. Listen, he had to go seven times. Can you imagine if he would have stopped on six? Can you imagine if he would have walked away just too early? Can you imagine if he would have went down once? No change. Twice, nothing. Three times, pastor, this isn't working. Four times, small group leader, this isn't working. Five times, listen, this isn't working. Six times, worship team, this isn't working. Don't give up too soon. Don't walk away. 